When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Over the Monster podcast. Xander Bogarts signs with the Padres edition. I am Brian Joyner here with an equally forlorn Dan Secatore. Dan, what was your first thought this morning when you woke up? We shouldn't be doing this, Brian. We shouldn't be doing this. I the the emotional swing from where I was when I went to bed last night to where I was when my my son woke up weirdly early this morning. Woke up at five fifty, um, and I checked my phone right away, wanting to see. You know, obviously, we we planned on doing an emergency podcast last night. We planned on doing an emergency podcast that was going to be celebratory. I had poured myself a drink. I had finished writing about Yoshida. I had a I had a joke plan for us for us for how we were going to start last night's emergency podcast. I was going to announce that we had to do an emergency podcast to discuss the breaking news that the Yankees were cheating ass cheaters who juiced their baseballs. And now, you know, I I don't feel like joking anymore. Laughter has died, Brian. The laughter has died. So, Xander Bogarts, after being in, quote, heavy discussions with the Red Sox yesterday, per, I believe it was John Heyman, in the dead of night, signs an 11-year, $280 million deal with the San Diego Padres to become, by my count, the 17th shortstop on their roster to <laughs> reunite with Don Orsillo in the NL West. How do you feel about it, and how do you feel about the process that got us to this point? Well... Look, the the process is is the thing that that's that's the worst thing about this entire fiasco, right? Um, it is very very easy for people to say that eleven years for a thirty year old shortstop is insane. It's very very easy to say that nobody saw two hundred eighty million dollars coming for Xander Bogarts. 
Um, and and in that sense, <laughs> there you know the John Henry and Hyam Bloom are probably secretly thrilled with the fact that the 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 numbers that San Diego offered were that eye popping um, because we are already seeing you know on Twitter fans and reporters coming out and saying, well, of course they're not going to match that offer. That number is insane. The Padres are stupid. The Padres don't know what they're doing. Um, the bottom line, of course, is it, it never should have come to this. It never should have come to this. He should have been locked up months ago. He, could, he should have been locked up a year ago. Um, and they almost certainly would have been able to lock him up for much, much less than this. Um, you know, had they had they been more aggressive a year ago. Um, it never should have happened. And, you know, <laughs> you can even just, just put aside all of the, all of the sadness about the legacy stuff. The, you know, the fact that we don't know the next time the Red Sox are going to have a, a, a homegrown superstar finish his career with, with the Red Sox. Put aside all of that. Put aside what a great guy he is. Put aside how long he's been with the team. Put aside all that. The Red Sox don't have a shortstop today. <laughs> they needed a shortstop. You know? And so, again, this is what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where I was expressing anger at the amount of people who who solely judge a deal based on whether they think the team is getting quote-unquote good value. It's really easy to look at this deal and say it's not good value. But regardless of whether that's true, the Red Sox don't have a shortstop today. Trevor Story can't do it. He doesn't have the arm for it anymore. Carlos Correa is not coming to Fenway Park. That's not happening. You know, if, if, they, if they weren't going to match those numbers for Xander, they're not going to match what are going to be significantly bigger numbers for Carlos Correa. Um, Dansby Swanson, sure, I guess that's still a possibility, but he is a downgrade. He is, there is no question about it, he is a downgrade. Um, so put all the legacy stuff aside, put all of the, all of our longtime gripes about this ownership, put the lingering feelings about the Mookie trade that we can't get over aside. The Red Sox don't have a shortstop. That's a problem. It is a problem, and it's one that I expect will resolve itself to some degree. I think that one thing I've learned from the way the Bloom administration has operated is they do seem to have holistic plans and fill the spots in these plans at the most advantageous times for them to pay the least amount um, because it seems to me like their entire philosophy is to go after distressed or potentially undervalue assets exclusively or near exclusively with the exception of short-term pitching contracts or short-term hitting contracts, which they then, as we've seen in the case of Schwarber, uh, it was a trade trade acquisition, they won't pay for should the value exceed 
what they paid for. So I am not worried about them not having a shortstop in April because it is still the first week of December. However, I am not ready to give up on the Mookie trade because I think it informs this one very important ways. Pete Abraham had a tweet that the Red Sox weren't second in the negotiating race for Bogarts. They weren't third and they weren't fourth. Now you can take that with a grain of salt. The previous day, yeah. it was reported that the Red Sox were in quote, heavy discussions with Bogarts. Right. These things cannot both these things cannot both be yeah. true. No, and I think that's what makes this so difficult to even talk about this. We have absolutely no idea what happened yesterday. No. I think Occam's razor is that Boris was pushing the price up using the Red Sox as a phantom bidder yeah. to push the real bidders up. Now, the reason I say this ties back to the Mookie trade is Xander played this like he wanted to stay. He was willing to stay. The Red Sox paid lip service to that, said they wanted him here. They said all the right things after with Mookie saying, well, he wanted to leave. So he left. And a lot of people believed that Mookie wanted to leave and that the Red Sox because they had offered him any contract, had made a good faith effort. Right. I think connecting these two, the differences in the ways Mookie approached an impending free agency and the way Xander approached an impending free agency and what the Sox actually offered in both cases shows that their way of doing things does not comport with paying these big contracts no matter what they say, because they have acted the exact same way ultimately in both sides. If you believe, in both cases, if you believe Pete Abe's tweet, which I do, we will get to what that means for another player still on the Red Sox in a second. Do you think the Red Sox had any Knowing the financial realities, and look, if Haim Bloom is as smart as his defenders say he is, and I think he's smart, but if he's as smart as he thinks he is, he would have to know that the offer he is making is not going to be acceptable to the player. Do you think the Red Sox ever had an intention of bringing back Xander Bogarts at a price that they would both find agreeable. It, it's, it is hard to say yes, if that's the case. If they were so, well, or I guess, well, you know what? Let me put this aside, actually. I, I'm not sure that Haim Bloom and the current Red Sox front office, I'm not sure their big objection to this was the price. I think it's possible that High and Bloom will <laughs> never sign a player for more than five years <laughs> over the, you know, over the over the, his tenure as as a president of baseball operations. That you know, I think it's possible that the sticking point was more the years than the total price. 
Um, now, it doesn't change the meaning of your question. If they knew that there were deals out there approaching the 9, 10, 11 year range, and of course they did, that's how negotiations work. Of course they knew that. And if they were sticking to six, then no, that's not, that is not an actual attempt to bring him back. Yeah, and there's no other there's no other conclusion you can draw from that. If if they knew that there were deals on the table for upwards of eleven years and they didn't move from six, then it's not an actual attempt to bring them back. So here's a follow up question: Do you think, in either the case of Bogarts or Betts, that the Red Sox acted out of turn? Because I think, I mean, there is some degree of politicking they will always do and will always have to do. I understand that. I think in this case, I'm going to step on your answer. I think in this case, there is a better case to be made that they we're following a script that is ultimately acceptable, especially given that the payoff to the script was the Padres offering a contract that's great for Bogarts. And I, we will get to this in a second, but you and I both love him. I am happy for him because this contract is amazing. Uh, absolutely. I, I, don't, I, I don't ever want the owners to make any money. So absolutely. So my question is, do you think that the Red Sox handled this well? Well, all right. So let's talk about what you're implying. You know, so if you are implying that they never had any intention of signing him and that when we heard that he was number one priority and that when we heard that they were in intense discussions with him yesterday and when let's not forget about the Sean McAdam tweet, too. Um, where Sean McAdden tweeted directly that he just spoke with a member of the Red Sox front office who unequivocally said, yes, they are going to come to a deal with Xander tonight. Um, if the implication is that this uh, was a lie, it seems a little hard to believe because it's pretty transparent. <laughs> but... I'm actually going to go back to Tristan Casas here for a second. Um, because I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you've already know what I'm referencing, but we talked about this back during the season. I was baffled by this. Tristan Casas was not uh, added to the roster initially uh, when rosters expanded on September 1st. Do you remember? Yes. And uh, when asked about it, I am Bloom said, you know, uh, that he, he, we're, what's most important right now in the Tristan Casas decision is his development as a hitter and as a player. Uh, and they would call him up when the time was right for him developmentally. They then called him up like six days later. 
Uh, and he didn't hit like six home runs down in Worcester in those six days. Uh, th- there was absolutely nothing developmentally that changed between Tristan Casas on September 1st and September 6th or 7th or 8th, whatever the day was that he made his major league debut. Um, and so, and that always, I, I've been thinking about the statement they made and, and, and just, and how bizarre it was for them to just not be forthright and for them to so transparently lie and say that on September 1st, Tristan Casas could not be a member of the Boston Red Sox for developmental reasons. But then six days later, it was fine. Um, I don't. It's hard for me to believe a team that's been so PR savvy, generally, at least in the John Henry ownership era, would be so sloppy with what they tell the public. Um, And yet here we are. So I don't know what to think about what they say anymore. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that they seem to like to lie, but it certainly does not bother them. Mm -hmm. And this is why today I am not nearly the wreck I was on the Mookie trade, because I'm sure you watched Game of Thrones. Yeah. What is what is dead can never die. <laughs> and they killed me with the Mookie trade. And I'm back to life. But you can't kill me again because I'm already dead. So were you all right? Question, though. Were you really dead at at 730 p.m. last night? What was your emotional state? Because let me tell you something. I was so fucking excited for opening day 2023. I I was so excited at 7.30 p.m. last night uh, with the Jansen, the Yoshida, and the Xander rumors. Like, I was was in. I could not wait to see these guys throwing on a backfield in Fort Myers. No. Where were you at 7.30? Were you truly dead at 7.30 p.m. last night? If I was really... I mean, look, if I was really dead, I wouldn't continue to write and do podcasts about the Red Sox. But but on that scale, I was, I've been making this case since the Betts deal, and it's only become stronger case. But as the team is becoming stronger in its image of this group that is, for whatever reason, potentially undervalued assets, on offense and then shorter contracts for pitchers and do all this while you rebuild the system. Everything has fit into that plan. The only thing that didn't would have been signing Xander. So while I am happy that the pace and quality of the signings of filling out this plan appears to be picking up and it still does. I had no point thought that it was likely that Xander was going to come in over the top of that. Now Devers is a different question, which we will get to in one second, because I just want to ask you first from the Bogarts perspective, what do you think about Bogarts in San Diego? Uh, <laughs> it's man, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know 
if they're done dealing. Um, I don't know if he's going to play second. Hassan Kim is defensively one of the best shortstops in the world. Fernando Tatis is one of the biggest stars in the baseball world. Uh, and Xander Bogarts is now being paid to play in San Diego for the next 11 years. Uh, <laughs> although I guess I, I guess we should note too about the 11 years thing. A couple of people have noted uh, with respect to Xander and Trey Turner's contract that these teams probably don't expect either one of these guys to to still be in uniform eleven years from now, um, and that rather they're they're basically they're they're giving they're they're picking a total dollar amount and saying we're okay paying two hundred eighty million dollars, and then they're extending the years in order to lessen the 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 hit of the AAV. Um, so that's a another little interesting wrinkle that we have to discuss here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I look at this. I guess you have one option is is Kim and Bogarts are your middle infield. Cronenworth is traded for pitching help. Tatis, when he comes back, slots into right field where he had already started playing uh, for the Padres before his motorcycle accident and suspension last year and where they, they hope they can keep him healthier. Um, I mean, that's a... <laughs> That's a hell of a heart of the order they got right now between Tatis, Soto, and Bogarts. Uh, who, if if you think about it this way, they they didn't they didn't have those three guys on the team last year. Effectively, they they only had Soto uh, for the last few weeks of the season. They didn't have Tatis at all. They didn't have Bogarts at all. Um, that's a really that's that's an exciting, fun heart of the lineup. With Don Orsillo calling every one of their at bats, uh, I, I'm excited for Padres fans. I am. I've, I've talked about how much I, I love this recent incarnation of the Padres. San Diego is a one-sport town right now. The Padres, I think, over the past two years have have been the closest we've seen to the mid '90s Mariners in terms of just like one team that kind of generate so much more buzz and excitement and has a coolness factor that other teams just don't have. Um, so I'm excited for San Diego. I don't think they're done yet. They still don't have the pitching to beat the Dodgers. Uh, and, and that's another thing that we should probably talk about with respect to the Red Sox too. The big problem with the Red Sox in 2022 was pitching. It was not the lineup. Uh, and they, they have, I am thrilled with what they've done in the bullpen, but they haven't come close to, to really fixing the starting rotation. Uh, so in that, in that sense, they're similar to the Padres. The Padres still don't have the pitching to get over the hump. Um, but I, I am sure as hell excited to see what San Diego does next. I really am. This, I mean, this is a team that is going for it and giving their fans reasons to hope, giving their fans reasons to be excited and entertaining them, which is what we're supposed to be doing here. We are supposed to be doing this for entertainment. I think there might be a lesson in the fact that the two teams most closely linked with the serious Bogarts offer were the two teams in the NLCS last year. I don't know. <laughs> what could might that lesson possibly be? But I agree. A team with Soto, Tatis, and Bogarts is amazing. And the best part is... You didn't even, I mean, I don't like him, but you didn't even mention Manny Machado. No, <laughs> he's I didn't still even there. Manny Machado, yeah. He's still there. 
Yeah. And from what I heard, that Bogarts was expected to actually play shortstop with Kim moving to second and Tatis to the outfield. Now, I wonder how much having Machado over there can help out Bogarts, uh, which, mm-hmm. for all we've talked about, Devers, that's a great segue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will help him, no doubt, if he does, in fact, play second. But the Padres are just swagged out as possible and did, I think, I agree with you, and I think there's a critical difference with the Mariners is that they even had two more teams, and, and the Padres have really gone on this trajectory after the football team left. And they have become right. a very cool, it's it's cooler version, but from what I'm told, a place like Oklahoma City is just a really awesome crowd for mm-hmm. the Thunder. It's mm-hmm. the only team they have, and they just support it like a college team. And I think the Padres are going for this and I appreciate it, but let's talk about the elephant still in the room. And that's not a reference to his weight. Cause that's just baby fat, baby. Dan, what <laughs> baby do you fat think, is lingering, but sure. what do you think this move means? If anything for Raphael Devers, <sighs> Well, I, 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 let me let me dispense with one idea first. I, I don't think that um, Raphael Devers, if the Red Sox offer him the most money, will sign with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, there, there's been a school of thought saying that you know they were really close, and in fact, they are. He actually just, uh, I guess, he just. Um, he posts on Instagram, thank you for teaching me many things. I'm always going to admire you as a person and as a baller. The best, you're an example to follow with several crying emojis and salute emojis. Uh, they were really close. Raphael Devers does appear to be an emotional guy. Personal connections appear to have a big impact on his play in the field. We saw that the year that Alex Cora was out. But having said that, yeah, I, I'm not going to buy into the school of thought that says without Xander, Rafi's gone too. Uh, I still think if the Red Sox offer him what he's looking for, he'll sign. Uh, Having said that, we have no reason to believe the Red Sox will offer him what he's looking for. Absolutely none. There is absolutely no reason to believe right now that the Red Sox are prepared to give Rafael Devers a 10-year, $300 million contract, which is what it was going to take to get him three days ago. What's it going to take now, four days, four, three days later, after Xander, after Trey Turner? I don't know. Uh, more than that is the answer. There's one, more, there's one more player who also signed in that period. Very important one to note for the Red Sox specifically because they see him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that would be Aaron Judge at age 30 signing a contract that is not as long, but way more money than right. it would cost to sign Rafael Devers who is not 30. Yeah. So I, the only thing is I disagree with you when you say that there's no evidence that they will do this. There's evidence that they won't. It's, it's not an, it's semantics. It's not an absence of evidence. It's there's ample evidence on the side of that is just not what they do. Yeah. And that is the crushing part to me because I understand 
I, I, nothing that High on Bloom has done so far post Mookie has surprised me, including letting Bogerts go, especially for a contract of this size. At some point, rules are meant to be broken. And at some point, continuity in a public-facing product is important. Or at least I would like to see it prioritized. I, I wish that were true. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, exactly. Like, I would like to see it prioritized when, when I'm not asking them to do this because I think it will be a sacrifice on their part. I'm asking them to do it because I think it will be worth it for them. I, that's a clear distinction. I'm not, I don't want... If the Red Sox had missed out on Xander by $40 million in this contract, I would have said, you know what? I get it. You tried. But seeing this leads me to believe they're not going to try. Yeah. And I think there are some... People talk about, oh, he'll cost X in Y year. Oh, who cares? There's no such but even thing. That, but even that, those numbers don't mean the same thing that they mean now. No, no, no. There is there is no such thing as an albatross contract in Major League Baseball. There really isn't. This is a radical idea, but it's actually so, so simple. There is no salary cap in Major League Baseball. There is a luxury tax. The most the Red Sox have ever paid in one season for luxury tax. You know what it is, Brian? I don't. $13.4 million. That is the highest penalty the Boston Red Sox have ever paid in the luxury tax. There is no such thing as an albatross contract in Major League Baseball. Every one of these teams, every one of these teams operates baseball revenues conservatively that are twice as much as their baseball payrolls. The Atlanta Braves, the only team whose financials are publicly available, have made thus far this year over $400 million in baseball revenue. That's through three quarters of 2022. And that's just baseball revenue. That is baseball revenue. That is not including the development around the ballpark, which, by the way, guess what other team is engaging in real estate development around the ballpark, Brian? I, I refuse to do so. The Boston Red Sox have already partnered with a development corporation to develop 5.3 acres surrounding Fenway Park. They're expected to spend about $2 billion on that real estate development. Boston, of course, is, along with San Francisco and New York, the hottest real estate market in the entire country. We're in a housing crisis. No one can afford a place to live. Every single building in the city is being turned into a lab. Um, as developers are cashing in on the hottest, most financially lucrative economic sector of the next 50 years. And the Red Sox, if they are going to spend $2 billion developing 5.3 acres, are surely going to make far, 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 far more than that. There is absolutely no such thing in baseball as an albatross contract. They can afford it. They can afford it. They can afford it. They can afford it. 
it's I would say to them there's no such thing as an albatross contract. I I, I sympathize with my tiger's brethren. They could have gotten rid of Miguel Cabrera at some point, but of course you can. You can always move these guys. You can always and, and move that, these guys. And the Red Sox, out of all teams, to ever get in this situation where, oh my God, we have all these contracts. How are we going to get out? Oh, the Dodgers called. They're gone. They're gone. We just sent them. It took two seconds. Yeah, take them. Someone yeah. will want them. So I don't. It's hard to believe the contortions that just the institution of general managing the Red Sox has gone through to obviously, and I mean obviously, so Bloom is absolved to some degree on this, serve the master's will. John Henry wanted to spend a bunch of money and win, and now he wants to save a bunch of money and maybe win. Yeah. It's plain as day. There is no confusion about what is happening. I don't know, and in fact, am pretty pessimistic, that as a fan base, there's anything we can say or do that won't be immediately undone by any sort of success. Oh, of course, of course. And, and, and that's is, fine, and, that's sports. And, that's, and this sports. is a major reason why I've railed against the expanded postseason because it makes it so easier for these guys to have quote unquote successful seasons, even if what they've actually built is something that 20 years ago we would have considered a complete mediocrity. I mean, look at the Astros. They are the perfect. Ex they went out, free agency started, and we were like, maybe we should call Jose Abreu. We're like, it's busy. Who has a busy signal anymore? You know who does? The Astros, because they were just like, oh, right. Oh, he's 37. Who gives a crap? Yeah. Get on our team. Mm -hmm. Because the best way to be good is to be good. And yes. then just continue yeah. to be good. Rebuilding, I understand they did it. But they did it so long ago that they were actually doing it in a novel environment. Right. And the Dodgers never tanked to get no. where they are. No, the they just signed TV tanked. deals and said, huh. And the Dodgers are the spending best players in baseball in the luxury tax, and they don't care. And because <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At some point... I, I did I read right that Henry wants to sell his Liverpool stake? That is correct. I wrote a uh, eleven hundred word article about it on the site, Brian. If you want to find out, that's more. where I learned it from, Dan. Obviously. <laughs> well, I think that I mean, look, maybe we'll get some clarity. Maybe in his 
little siphoned off pools of money to spend on X, Y, and Z, he decided that the Red Sox gruff wasn't worth it and is going to pour money into Fenway I, I, or into the Red Sox. I don't know. Well, possibly. I mean, the reason to just very briefly to discuss Liverpool because it it does shed some light. Now, now obviously, we John Henry has not come out and publicly stated why he's selling Liverpool, and he wouldn't do that because anything he says is going to have an impact on the ultimate price he's going to get. What I wrote in the article. Um, is essentially a brief explanation of the economics of European soccer and how they differ from the economics of European sports and why owning a European soccer team, even Liverpool, which is one of the four or five biggest clubs in the entire world, most successful, most followed, uh, richest, it is not necessarily as financially lucrative as owning a major league baseball team because the, 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 this financial structure in Europe requires teams to win in order to make money. There is no draft in European soccer. There are no salary caps in European soccer. And then most importantly, there's the promotion and relegation system. So while they do share their massive, massive, massive global TV deals, you only get a cut of that if you're in the league. And you're only in the league if you're one of the top 20 teams in England. And you only get a cut of the biggest TV deal, which is the TV deal for the Champions League, which is the European-wide competition, if you're in the Champions League. And that's not a guarantee. that that's, You can think of that as effectively making the playoffs. If you're in English soccer, if Liverpool wants to make the Champions League, they need to finish in the top four of the Premier League to do so. If they do, and if they make it to the finals, as they did last year... They get an extra like $150 million in estimated revenue just from Champions League TV deals. If you don't make the Champions League, you don't get that money. American sports teams don't operate that way. American sports teams have operated, have, have built a corporate welfare system where they all make money no matter what they do in the field. Right? So Liverpool, even though it is twice as big as the Red Sox, twice as rich as the Red Sox, and, and 20 times more popular than the Red Sox, it's not necessarily a better financial deal owning Liverpool than owning the Red Sox. Because you actually, you need to invest your own capital in a European soccer team to win. And this is also why, by the way, many European soccer teams, even some of the biggest ones like Barcelona, they, they frequently do flirt with bankruptcy. Uh, there's a very good chance that Barcelona goes bankrupt within the next two or three years. Um, because Barcelona and Real Madrid, unlike Liverpool, they're actually not. They're owned by fan members. Uh, and, and fan members pay shares, purchase shares, and then vote on the decision makers. There is no one owner of Barcelona. Um, and so those teams, as a result really don't even try to earn a profit they try to make as much money as possible and then they put it all back into the team and so it's a very dangerous game for them and and barcelona may have been, made some pretty big financial fuck-ups here that's going to screw them american well, sports owners just don't have that in them 
Right. And so I think that John Henry, if he had, had a preference, if he owned Liverpool, he would combine uh, the European model into what I would call European Super League. And that way you could ensure that you always made money. Now, if that idea didn't work, maybe you would reconsider your ownership yeah. stake in and, Liverpool. And, and you know Just what? saying. Thank, thank you very much for saying that. Because as, as we were, I don't even know how we got into this, but we were just discussing you know the, the sort of the public repercussions of this and and whether the fans can do anything to stop this you know it should be noted that the super league doesn't exist right now because the fans rose up and stopped it from happening and you know what john henry did that he has never done to red sox fans mm-hmm. he apologized he did and and let me give you another example uh, you remember the COVID-19 pandemic, Brian? Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> In September of 2020, the Red Sox announced that they were laying off about 10% of their full-time staff. A few months earlier, Liverpool Football Club made a similar announcement. You want to know what happened in Liverpool? What happened in Liverpool? Fans didn't let them do it. Just as with the Super League, the fans and the Liverpool media raised as much shit about Liverpool laying off their stadium ushers and concessionaires and training staff that John Henry backed off and kept those employees. Red Sox fans didn't do shit when John Henry laid off 10% of Red Sox full-time staff. Again, this is this is America. Unsurprising that he wants to come back. Yep. Anyhow, as this bodes going forward for the rest of the offseason, what do you think we will see? I, I think we should take the Devers thing out of it because it's so, frankly to me, it seems unrelated to the team building exercise uh, that they are currently concerned with and not that he couldn't fit into it but everything else seems to be cut from a different cloth than what they do with him so what's your question (laughs) what comes next what do you think comes next i don't see them getting correa uh i suppose they could be in on swanson if the price is right that sounds right to me you think they're going to go for Swanson? or like Can they completely punt and just sign Jose Iglesias? Don't challenge them. I mean, look, they Maybe did. Iglesias hitting like 600 for us last year yeah. is going to come back to bite us in the ass. They did just bring in uh, one of the better relief pitchers in baseball to stabilize the bullpen. Great they move. They did just bring in... Uh, one of the best players in Japan. Great move. They did bring in Chris Martin, who's the single best relief pitcher in baseball at limiting walks. Great move. You know, are you, I guess the question is, like we talked about, are they doing this because they know that, hey, if they can build a 87 win team, they'll make the playoffs and people forget it and, they're just going to keep doing this for the next two or three years until Marcelo Meyer comes up and either is a superstar or isn't? If that was supposed to be rhetorical, um, I, know, I mean, the answer is yes. That, 
That's clearly what they're going to do. I mean, look, they will. I think that they'll all, it's all it's all distressed assets in some way. I'm not saying that signing someone from Japan is a distressed asset, but the the ceiling is obviously yeah. much higher uh, for the yeah. price than it would be for an established major league player. That's I mean, just his how it floor works. his floor is probably Alex Verdugo. And I on mean, the other he does, hand, he could be a superstar. We, like, could, we, just, it, we just don't know with Japanese hitters. We just don't know how they're going to translate. And I saw in your piece about him, which I read, Good that job. you that you sort of use Suzuki as sort of a, Suseya, obviously, as a yeah. potentially, at least immediately, unfavorable uh comparison but he seemed to be doing really well until he got hurt last year and then it all he, he did out. he did i actually you're I'm, i actually hesitated to use him for that exact reason and and i ended up softening my language i think i just i, I think i ended up just saying that you know you you could find a, a bunch of praise that was heaped on suzuki last year that he hasn't lived up to yet because you're right he did uh you know he had that outstanding start got hurt slumped and then kind of leveled off in, in, a, in a positive way, regressed back up uh, towards the end. So, yeah, Suzuki very well could be an all-star next year. Yeah. So, uh, it's just weird because it's the end of one era and the start of another. But as I said earlier, nothing about today surprises me. Oh, I can't believe you just said that because that... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm you know, sorry. it just brings me back to... I have... I have always been a prospect hound back before that, you know, even before that was cool. I used to go. I, I got new. I got news for you. It, it's still not. <laughs> it's not cool. Back before it was more widespread. I, you know, I grew up closer to Providence than Boston. So I went to way more Paw Sox games, the Red Sox games. And, you know, you would always get the program and it, 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 somewhere on page 15, there would be the list of the top 10 Red Sox prospects in that program. And that's the only place you ever saw that back then. Sox prospects didn't exist. The Globe didn't regularly cover prospects. Peter Gammons would mention them in his Sunday Notes columns now and then, but that was it. So you would only see them in the Paw Sox program. And of course, you know, I, I was a, you know, an eight, nine, 10 year old kid. I didn't know anything about how hard it was to develop as a major leaguer. So I would read these glowing reviews and just, uh, I'm just like, oh my God, wow, the Red Sox are going to have an entire infield of all-stars in two years. This is unbelievable. And so that's always how I was as a kid growing up. I was always, always, always looking forward to the prospects and always wanting to see a, 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 a hometown core come together and win. And that's exactly what we had in 2018. Like we had that. We had Mookie Betts. We had Xander Bogarts. We had Rafael Devers. All three of those guys were under the age of 27. And all three of those guys could be Hall of Famers one day. We had them all. We had Benintendi. He's, of course, fallen off a cliff, but, you know, he was there. The pitching staff, of course, was, you know, price and sale. Sure, of course, that, that was it wasn't entirely homegrown. But when you look at the everyday players, the guys who are in your living room every night for three hours a night for six months, Bogarts, Betts, Vasquez, Benintendi. 
I mean, that we the thing that I had been waiting for my entire life, we had it. And they just, it's all gone now. It's all gone now. And I don't, and it, as far as I can tell, the reason why it's all gone is because they slightly regret giving too much money to Chris Sale. That seems to be the reason. It really does. And I agree with everything you said. I've just agreed with it for almost three years at this point. So at least we still have Jaron Durant. Just kidding. Um, we, we have sadness and there will be no segments. The segment today was one big sadness segment. That is it for our um, funereal Xander Bogarts is officially off to San Diego podcast. Obviously on the Over the Monster podcast network, which exists now, we will have takes from the pod on Lansdowne guys from Jake and Keaton. There'll be written takes about Xander. There will be a lot. You might say OTM marks the spot for X takes. Oh, Jesus. Needed to get some sort of levity in here. <laughs> Jesus. All right. I am Brian Joyner. That is Dan Secatore. And we will talk to you, hopefully, with some better news. Dan, hang in there, buddy. I'm trying. You too. All right. Later. Take care.